You're listening to WP Product Talk, presented by the WP Minute. WP Product Talk is a weekly discussion between two WordPress product experts, Kim Coleman from Paid Memberships Pro and Matt Cromwell from Stellar WP. Join them live each week on Twitter Spaces for a Q&A, or stay subscribed here to the feed that brings you your favorite five minutes of WordPress news every Wednesday. You can support us by visiting the wpminute.com support. Here we go with Kim and Matt on WP Product Talk. Welcome to the ninth episode of WP Product Talk. We just keep going. Last week, we had a great episode with Rich Tabor talking about full site editing. And today, I'm excited to be having Jason Coleman here with us today as well. So thanks for being here, Jason. Yeah, no problem. I I don't think everyone has as much fun with spreadsheets and things like that as I do. (laughs) But there's, there's some of us out there. And I think we can all learn to love them and especially how useful they are in keeping our businesses running well. Absolutely. Ask my team about my passion for spreadsheets. Uh, so the topic today is budgeting for WordPress products, how to forecast revenue and expenses. And this is a great time to be talking about that as I'm hoping that a lot of the WordPress shops are deep in their spreadsheets right now, planning for 2020, because now is almost too late. So it's a good one. If you're listening in and you have some comments or questions, then tweet at us with the hashtag WP Product Talk, and we'll be paying attention over there. I do want to also give a shout out to the WP Minute that has traditionally been doing a lot of distribution on all the podcast channels for us. They're a little bit behind at the moment, but I gave them a nudge today and they said they're on it. We're going to get the rest of those out the door this week. So thanks to BB Minute for that service. And now we want to do some quick introductions. I am Matt Cromwell, one of the co-founders of GiftWP, and that is the, the number one plugin, WordPress plugin for doing online donations for quite a while now. And we were recently, well, no, it's not so recent anymore. We're now uh, owned by Liquid Web, part of Stellar WP, where I'm helping with marketing operations support for Give and Cadence and Iconic and iThemes. It's gotten fun on our side of the fence for sure. So that's me, Kim. Absolutely. Thanks, Matt. So I am Kim Coleman. I am Jason Coleman's boss. And <laughs> <That's> I <true. laughs> but definitely we, I am co-founder of Stranger Studios. We have a membership plugin called Paid Memberships Pro. We've been building that for 12 years and we're dabbling in some new products. The one is called Sitewide Sales for automating flash sales in your WordPress site using WooCommerce easy digital downloads, or paid memberships pro. And we've just launched a new product called Restrict with Stripe that Jason can maybe expand on a little bit. So Jason, do you want to introduce? Sure. I work for Kim, but I'm also her boss. She said it well. So we're basically one person work-wise often and been doing this together for so long. And uh, yeah, Paid Memberships Pro is the main product we have. Restrict with Stripe is something new. It actually kind of competes with Paid Memberships Pro, but it tries to do as little as possible on the WordPress side and just lean on Stripe as much as possible. So if you really love Stripe and just want like kind of the simplest way to restrict some content using Stripe as an e-commerce engine, that's what we set out to build with that. And we're looking for kind of early users. That sounds super fun. Kim mentioned that, I think, last previously, and I have yet to get my hands on it, but I want to test it out for sure. Cool, cool. Well, first things first, we need to address the big elephant in the room. Why should anybody care at all about budgeting and forecasting at all? Why is this such an important subject? And as I am prone to do, I like to throw our guest hosts under the bus first. So Jason, what makes this such an important or significant subject in your mind? Why do all the WP product shops need to be paying attention to this? 
Yeah, I, I think it's important. It can feel like navel gazing in the same way checking your Google Analytics is. Like I definitely multiple times a day just open up the reports and see how much money came in. And that's not super useful. But if you have really good documents for doing your financial planning and budgeting and accounting, the primary use for them is to help you make decisions better and faster. So like you don't like Kim gave one example of, you know, someone on the team wants to spend $50 a month on some marketing service and you don't want to have to figure out, is this worth it? Can we afford it? Every time you have a little decision like that, you kind of, if you do all this work up front, you know what your budget is and you know what you can afford and you can make really quick decisions as long as you're within budget. And when there's bigger things, you you know, like, hey, I can make this investment in the business without, you know, running out of money, basically. So that's the idea. Get the data in place so that you do all that work up front and figure out, you know, how to how to make better decisions. Nice. In case anyone notices, I've got a toddler in the background. Just why I, yeah, for me, I definitely, I mean, it, it is in many ways two different things, forecasting, budgeting, forecasting for what you expect to be bringing in next year, hopefully ideally with growth in mind, of course, and based on those projections, hopefully being able to establish good budgets that make sense. I, I totally agree. I love having good budgets in place that are that allow me to be able to make decisions and not have to overthink it when the time comes to pull the trigger on a purchase or a new hire, things like that. I think that's really important. I mentioned, I think a couple of weeks ago, how I do a lot of my support hires to what our sales projections are. And that's a, that's a big part of it for me is that if I'm projecting a certain amount of growth over the next year, then I know I'm going to need a certain amount of staff to support those new sales that come through on the support side. And I honestly, I don't feel like there's a better way to project for that kind of thing. And of course, you always have to be checking against whether or not you're meeting those projections and whatnot and and adjust accordingly. But doing that in advance upfront really helps to really set the pace and tone for the calendar year. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. Kim, I am certain you are not just a carbon copy of Jason. So I'd love to hear your perspective too. No. When when we were brainstorming for this session, it, it could be a challenge for us to not overlap. But for me, the biggest thing is that a lot of founders pay themselves last. And by considering yourself in a budget and a fork, you can build in a salary that you're comfortable with and separate that, especially if you have an LLC model like Jason and myself, we're both 50% owners. All of the money that's left over is technically ours. But when we don't actually pay ourselves, you know, a quote unquote salary, when we don't recognize that as a cost of this business, then I think we're undervaluing our contribution and we're not preparing our business for a future time when we as full time in this. If you develop additional products, if you develop other revenue streams, you'll become divided. So you won't have any idea what it will cost. Replace yourself, even in part within your organization. So I think it, it forces you to take a look at some costs you're not even realizing when you're just managing in QuickBooks. Nice. That's good insight for sure. Uh, cool. That's, I think that's about it. I mean, like, you know, without, I, I actually really think of budgeting and forecasting really as fundamental to doing good business personally. Also, it's just, it's really like business 101, regardless of what your current revenue stream looks like, what your current sales look like in order to really be setting yourself up for success. You got to do this, whether you like spreadsheets or not, honestly. Yeah. Jason, do you have additional thoughts there? I mean, of course, I think Kim's point about paying yourself first was is really important. And even more so if you have the kind of business that is kind of up and down, like when we did consulting work, we'd have some months where we'd make 
three times as much as a typical month. And some months we wouldn't make as much, you know, we'd have a low month. And I know like on Kim's side, she would see like the money coming into the bank account and be like, we didn't make any, any money this month. And when we started forecasting and paying ourselves a, a, a salary, I could be like, well, the business didn't make any money. We still made money because we're, mo- you know, we're kind of paying ourselves by moving a more consistent salary from one account to the other. Because your life can be crazy if you're like, you know, you feel rich because you just landed a big contract. And then the next month you feel poor because you're not landing big contracts. If you forecast it over the course of a year and divide by 12, you get a more, you know, typical budget for your personal finances as well. So that's useful. Yeah. No, that's great. Cool. Well, another part of what we do here is what we call story time. We want to go around and give some examples of how this subject has impacted us personally in the past in our businesses and things that we learned at definitely pros and things that we feel like we succeeded at. And Jason's really good at talking about failures, I have to say. I'm not uh, I'm not suggesting that you need to talk about failures, but I've heard some good, especially on the support side or the, the customer feedback side. But uh, yeah. Not on the budgeting side. You're great with spreadsheets. So I'd love to hear some stories. Uh, Jason, why don't we start with you? What a, a good story. Man, I wish I came with like a good failure for, <laughs> for you that was on topic to talk about. <laughs> maybe next time. It is important. But maybe like to visualize some of the stuff we're talking about. I remember like the earliest times I started trying to f- do forecasting and spreadsheets. And we had a simple spreadsheet for our consulting business that was basically, you know, how much money did we make total this year? How many customers did we have? And what was the average project price and kind of what, how many hours did we spend? What was our hourly rate? And kind of every, the past few years, we, you know, put that into a spreadsheet. And, you know, the thing you can do in a spreadsheet is you can select a row, like a formula and then drag it down. So I was like, hey, let's shoot for like 30% growth, which was a number like just out of the top of my head. It was, you know, it was just like, that would be nice. And you get to see like, hey, maybe we made, you know, $50,000 this year, but in three to four years, like that becomes, you know, in the six figure range. That's pretty nice. Let's shoot for that. So there's like this positive visualization when you do that, you know, kind of like the secret, like you're like, you see it on the spreadsheet, like, oh, like two years from now, I'll be able to buy a house, you know, <laughs> like apparently. But the, the other aspect of that is like, you know, the money doesn't just go up. You kind of real you have to ask yourself a question like, okay, well, how do we grow 30%? And then that simple spreadsheet that we built, there was only two levers really that we could turn as a business to make the the total revenue go up. And that was either get more customers or raise our prices. And that really forced us every year to be like, hey, what are we really trying to do? And some years it was raising prices. And some years we were trying to get more customers. We tried to kind of streamline and do less complicated consulting work and more kind of quick, repeatable work that we could do more often. It was just a case of us early days having that spreadsheet, seeing the numbers, it made it real. And then it helped us make a business decision of like, oh, this year we should, we need to raise our prices by 30% if we actually want to grow the business, that kind of thing. That's excellent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just, I think there's a lot of folks I've chatted with who just are really hesitant to just do the really boring work of getting it all out on paper in one form, you know, paper. Uh, in spreadsheets in one form or another, but that's sometimes that's really all it takes is just making sure to lay it all out and, and look at it. And once you see what you have in front of you, it just kind of makes a lot of your decisions for you. Kim, I'd love to hear your take, uh, same business, different take. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to hear your story too. Sure. I want to talk about an, a common argument Jason and I have, and I, I think I'm coming around. I think he's winning me over. And this re- relates to planning, having plans, and in a lot of ways, a budget is a point in time where, or a forecast even more specifically, is a point in time where you look ahead and you 
take the information you have from history and you use that and you mix in a little bit of expectations, you mix in a little bit of hopefulness and you create a vision for the future. I have a major problem with looking ahead to things that I don't have full information for, for looking ahead at things and knowing that it's going to be wrong, like the very next day that information is going to be wrong. But Jason always reassures me that the point of doing this isn't to get it right, to stick on track, to spend that exact amount of money you forecasted to spend on marketing that month. And if you didn't do that, you're a failure. It's more about the point in time that you had those conversations, you set those expense estimates, let's say. And even though the, it's wrong, the art of planning was the point, the point of having that conversation. So for us, you know, the pandemic was a really interesting time where forecasts were very wrong. As soon as things started getting really crazy, like March through May of 2020, all of our forecasts were incorrect. We were growing a lot more and we were not able to spend as much because we had allocated money for marketing expenses that didn't exist. These in-person word camps didn't exist. These other in-person events. We were trying to budget to have a whole team trip. The pandemic hit and that line item on our budget like a no-go. So I think when you when you look at budgeting, you, there are going to be places where you might not meet the expense level. And what do you do in that case? So you don't just like, oh, shoot, we should sponsor a bunch of stuff because we didn't spend our marketing budget this year. You could make that decision, but at least you have a story to tell for why and you had that goal set in the first place. So I don't think we're, we're great at this. We're still maybe not spending what we estimate to, estimate to spend on, on marketing and we're still toying with how can we have a team trip? How can we continue to budget for a team trip when we aren't yet sure that the world can accommodate it for our full team globally? So that's like an interesting piece that that hangs over me when I look at these budgets. I will share a tidbit that Jason, to a degree, is an overestimator when it comes to the expenses side. So if you have to err on one side of doing it, I think that's a healthy way to be incorrect so that you don't feel like bad about your budgets when you put the real number in for that month on that spreadsheet row. If you severely underestimated expenses and then that bottom line number gets cut pretty hard, you know, you'll be, oh, you know, you'll start to hate your budget and look at it with disdain. But if you have to overestimate a little bit, it's by the right choice to do. I think Jason's doing that the right way, being very conservative. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's easier to be conservative because we have a profitable company with, you know, excess cash. And so I say like, hey, the numbers don't have to be exact. Don't worry about it. But if, you know, it's, I try to remember back to the early days when maybe our bank account was closer to zero and it was like, oh, like if I'm off a little bit, we're going to overdraft our account. So if you're in that situation, I, I guess you have to be like a little more serious about that end of things. But yeah, like for example, like the marketing budget, it tries to be a conservative estimate. And like I said, at the top of the show, sometimes it, it's to make decisions quicker. So it's kind of like, I don't want to have to, figure out if we can afford $5,000, anything below $5,000 a month. If it's below it, just do it. You don't have to have like a bigger discussion of, can we afford this? Just, is it useful? And and if you don't actually spend your budget, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But in some cases, maybe it is. If it, part of the strategy is that we should be quote unquote marketing and pushing things and we're not using all of our resources, including the money to do that, it's, it's worth it. Kim and I talking about that and figuring that out. Mm, yeah, no, that's a really good point. I like both of those. Like for one, what you said, Kim, that like it's not intended to be like a perfect forecast of what you, what you know you're going to spend. It's really there as guardrails to make sure you're not going crazy off one side or the other and, and it's flexible for sure. And also I agree with that a lot that, that specifically that 
you want to make sure that things are, are are going in the right direction and that you actually are spending what you intend to spend here. And not only just in terms of like marketing spend, but also in terms of investing in your team, perhaps. If you set aside a certain amount of, of budget specifically for hiring, and then you just kind of like put off that new hire, like maybe it's like, ah, we got all this extra money here for hiring. We just never hired and Oh, but we're doing fine. Like, nah, you know, you got to pull that trigger and make sure you do those hires and, and keep investing in your company as you go. So I like both of those for sure. I think story time for me, the, one of the things that was interesting in the earlier days of Give was, was specifically that we did really want to do some big investments in the product or in the team in one form or another. And there were times when it really, it just didn't feel feasible and so we kind of started working into a, an every other year kind of cycle. Uh, one year, we would treat the budget as a year of investing deeply in the company, which would be kind of a year of growth, really uh, intending to do some more hires to invest more in, in marketing. And then the year that followed that would often be a bit more of a leaner year, intending and hoping that the investments that we did paid off in more profits and more sales and things like that. And they, by going lean the second year, we actually end up having a higher profit margin, margin based on the investments that we made the previous year. And I do feel like overall that ended up working in our favor. And, and, and we definitely were also overestimating expenses regardless, either, either, either year. Like if we said, oh, we're going to need a budget for two new hires Maybe we were thinking that each was going to be like a 75K salary. We would still probably budget more towards 200,000 total instead of just 150. Just in order. Yeah, that's a little bit too much. Not, not, not quite that much, but we were definitely <laughs> overestimating. And I do, I agree with that. Like having that as a buffer is really important and, and helpful as well. And I love that also in terms of what you said, Jason, that when, when the budget for like marketing or whatnot is just like being less than $5,000, you know, Let's not spend a meeting talking about that. <laughs> Let's just make sure and invest it and spend it. That's very similar for us as well. Could you, Matt, expand? Because I know it's obvious with Jason and myself, we work on the same company. Who in your team, you know, let's say the acquisition was mm -hmm. involved in this process? Yeah, the, all the budget and forecasting was the partner, which at that time were me and Devin Walker and Jason Canil. And so we would... Be, you know, right around October is when we would start beating up our performance for the year and start looking at projecting for the future. Jason was our finance guy and he would definitely start out with all the, the projections and he always tended to project pretty conservatively. And, and then we would sometimes try to, you know, let's push it up a little bit. I think we're going to outperform next year just a little bit so that we can justify a little bit more hiring spend or things like that. Or we would say the opposite. Let's, let's tone it down and set expectations a little bit lower and, uh, and try to, if we do exceed expectations, then that ends up being buffer that we have to invest the following year. So yeah, what, I mean, on that front, like one, Thing that I've been trying to lean into more and more is is yeah that those types of conversations like revenue and and and, the, and revenue streams and those kinds of things can sometimes be kind of an uncomfortable kind of conversation for employees or team members and so oftentimes I like to talk about other types of metrics for them especially on the marketing side really focus much more just on conversions instead of the actual revenue numbers that can kind of vacillate based on discounts and and average revenue per unit and things like that. But making sure that the, the the folks who are setting budgets and things are always paying attention to the revenue line. That's a really good point about kind of insulating your team 
from some of the metrics. Like we, we had something like, like that early in the year where, where we realized the marketing kind of scorecard had revenue numbers on it. And I think the team noticed that, I, I don't know, I think the, the August month was like a little lower than like the previous year's August month or something. And they were like, what can we do about it? And I was like, oh, no, no, wait, it's not your job to figure that out. <laughs> like your job is to get traffic and conversions and get people, you know, opening emails and things like that. Like they were, they were kind of distracted by the, the high, high level numbers in that document. But we do share with them kind of, we try to quarterly let them know that the business is okay. And we did have fun once, like we had like a race to a million when we were kind of a little bit close to a million revenue for the year. And we, we said like, what can we do in two months to just make money? And we got like really good ideas out of the team. It was like a special thing, but in general, try to insulate that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Cool. Well, next one we have here is a quick little defining terms, which I think is really useful and helpful just for for everyone to be on the same page here. Jason, you want to walk through this a little bit? I think especially when it comes to the difference between accounting and finance, those are that's actually something that I think a lot of folks in the early days don't think too much about. What's your take on that? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's like accounting and finance, and you know, this would be a simplistic view. Kim manages the accounting for the most part in our business. And we have like some people that we outsource to as well. But the accounting is, you know, all the, all the receipts for everything coming in and out. So if you have a consulting business, every invoice that gets paid, you know, keep track of that in a sheet or in QuickBooks. And every time you pay something, keep track of that. Um, so it's like, it's at the, the item level of making sure that, you know, the, the money coming in and out is controlled. Whereas the the finance is a little bit of a higher level level picture. It also includes things like if you're taking loans and have to pay back loans, you know, like accounting for that. And on the finance side, you know, I recommend having like just like if you think of like a public company, private company, run it the same way. Like you want a balance sheet that shows like how much cash do you have in the bank and your liabilities and other assets, and you want to have like a cash flow statement or a forecast, which is like you know um, your estimate month to month and quarter to quarter of the money coming in and out, not at the item level, but at the kind of like a higher level group things by product and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think that's one thing I I do get a lot of folks asking questions about acquisition, about how to set themselves up for that kind of situation. And mm-hmm. my first answer is always to have really clean books and a really clean PL. That's like it's one thing that folks who are looking to acquire other businesses are always looking looking at carefully is does this all add up correctly? And are they actually above bore on all the things they're reporting on and are the books clean? So Getting into that habit immediately and doing it right, I think is really important for sure. Another one here in terms of defining terms, revenue, expenses, profit, profit margin. Who's going to chime in on this one? I can again. I did a talk at WordCamp Orlando and I tried to like skip past this because I was like, everyone knows, you know, it's like revenue minus your expenses, that's your profit. And about half the people in the room, wait, wait, what? And I was like, (laughs) slow down. And I was like, oh, okay, let's back up. This is supposed to be like business 101. But basically, you know, revenue is all the cash that comes into the business. You know, it's the, when someone pays for something on your website, you know, it's $300, your revenue would be $300. And then expenses, there's, you know, kind of expenses that are the cost of doing business. And then there's expenses after that. So like, you know, you pay strike 3%, you know, that's an expense. Maybe you have to actually like buy the product that you're selling from someone else, or you have like an affiliate rev share with someone that's an expense, but then so are like, you know, your employees and your support team and your marketing budget, those are expenses. So in any given time period, if you take your revenue 
and you subtract your expenses, that's your profit. And if you get that as a percentage, that's your profit margin. And it's it's kind of important. Like I think people who share about businesses, they say like, oh, we, we like I just said, like we were shooting for a million dollars a year in revenue. That's, I think the top line revenue number is a good idea of like how big the business is in terms of like what's involved. But if you want to know like how profitable is that business, there's some businesses that have smaller margins. Like if you're selling, you know, certain kinds of reselling products or something like that, selling clothing, maybe your margin is smaller than if you're selling software. And so, you know, some businesses are better than others because the margin is better. And that's important to take into account. You know, no, what does it cost to deliver that? Oh, good. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, that's another one. That, you know, actually Kim and I just said the other day that we should do a talk about setting your business up for acquisition. And it probably Mm. will overlap a lot with this conversation because that's exactly right. And the thing I was saying earlier about how sometimes we would have kind of a leaner year on purpose, a year of investment, and then a year more uh, that was more focused on investing in new team members. The profit margin would definitely be thinner in those years when we were doing a lot of hiring and a lot fatter in years when we were trying to be lean. But that was all intentional and on purpose. That was trying to accelerate the growth of the company so that by the time we were ready for acquisition, the, the profit margins were, were solid and good. And I mean, it wasn't only for that intention, but it's also that you have a lot more flexibility to be able to do the kinds of big moves that you want to do when you, when you do have the, those profit margins. So being able to pay attention to that carefully, I think is really important. So good clarification yeah. for sure. And I'll, I'll just add on these terms, super important to look at them individually and understand how they impact each other within your business specifically. Growing revenue might mean growing expenses in parallel. And sure, you've grown, but your total profit is the same. So looking at these numbers, understanding them individually, profit margin probably being the best one that's showing you that ratio, and then individually thinking of strategies to reduce one area, increase one area, or just increase your profitability without increasing your expenses. So yeah, I hope that's not vague, yep. but I think it just helps no, you understand no. why, why is understanding these four different terms important? It's because they have a relationship to each other and they're individually important. And honestly, when I've asked other business, like, what's your profit margin? Like, there's no rule of thumb. There's no metric that you're going to say, like, oh, well, all WordPress products have this profit margin. That should be my target. Really, it's you and you year over year that you really want to start. If you're just starting, you know, don't look to someone else's profit margin and use that to judge yourself, you know? Yeah. Oh, Kim, to your point, like a good example that comes up a lot with WordPress product companies is that they make the decision to raise their prices, which lowers the number of units sold. And so their support goes down. And so they're like, hey, we can make more money and pay less on support when we raise our prices. And so they, they kind of think about that, hopefully. And I've, I've seen other people that do think about that when they're making that decision. Or if you're on the flip side like us and we say like, hey, we're going for market share, we're going to give away you know, stuff for free, we're going to keep our prices potentially lower, although we did just raise our prices last week, that means that there's going to be a higher support load and we have to have a good forecast and budget to account for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I actually have a good question here. Amber Hines is listening in. Hi, Amber. And she has a question for us, which I think is really relevant. Can you talk about the percentage of revenue you're spending on various areas of the business? Yeah. I mean, we're budgeting. We've been talking about it more at a whole, but per department, I think is really important too. Jason, you want to start with that? What's your take on that? May I have it open in our document? And so it breaks down like this. The largest by far is salaries and benefits. And salaries includes full-time contractors and some part-time contractors as well. 
but 70% of our revenue goes towards salaries and benefits. And then about 4% goes towards marketing. We do set aside 2% for that team trip that we hope to be able to take, like Kim said. It comes out like hosting and software is about 1.2%. I feel like this is low. Sometimes I see other businesses talk about all the business, all the SaaSes that they use to run their business. And I was like, don't you have someone like Kim who like once every three months tells you to cancel that account so that so this doesn't get out of hand? But that software, then there's like 4% processing fees. Like I said, that 3% credit card, but also like refunds and stuff like that. Around six to 10% sales tax. And then the rest is profit. And so our profit margin on this budget for this year, this is 2022, which is kind of a flat year. Our profit margin is around 10%. Nice. Wow. Thanks so much for that transparency there. Amber, I hope you were taking notes. Um, I could s- share a screenshot or something on Twitter, maybe as a follow-up. Yeah. No, that's cool. There, I, I, there are certain parts of that that I think are really important is in terms of talking about setting things at a percent of revenue. Specifically, you mentioned how you set the, the company trip as, I think you said 2% of revenue. I, what I love about that is that as the company grows, it just means a better company trip every single year. I mean, I'm, I'm being a little bit funny about it, but it, it, I, I, it is cool. Yeah. It, it's, it's great to set it as a percent and because that goes into what you were saying earlier about like not having to make giant decisions because often if you're like, oh, geez, we're going to spend $50,000 on a company trip, it just sounds like a ridiculous amount of money. And maybe, maybe that just sounds, that just sounds too big. But when you put it as like, well, it's, it's still 2% of the company revenue, just like it was last year. It's still the same exact budget. It's just that we are, you know, doing better this year. And maybe we have more people this year too. And so it is going to have more expenses this time around. So yeah. I like betting it as a percent. We do the same thing with WordCamps, in particular WordCamp sponsorships. Traditionally in the past, we had them try to be around between seven and, and 10% of revenue. That There was a time when when for us, we had it up to 15 or 16%. And that's just because we were doing one of those big investments where we're trying to get the word out about give really strongly. But then we dialed it back where we felt like we had it a little bit more under control. And then ad spend, I think also, if you're doing paid advertising in any way whatsoever, it's the same one where if you think like, oh, geez, we spent $20,000 in a month on ads. It sounds like a a crazy big number, but when you realize that you've just pegged it to a percent of revenue and it's just that you're continuing to grow as in in your revenue, then I think it works. And that is another one where, like you said earlier, Jason, if you're not spending it, then it's kind of indicative of a problem. Like you do have this budgeted and ad spend, if you, if that is one of your marketing strategies, you do have to spend it if it's a part of your strategy. So really good question there. Yeah. Kim, you have any insight, additional things to say there? I think Jason told everyone everything. No, I did. No. There's like, a, I don't know if this piece is useful too. like the set, the salaries are 70%, but we also then break down, you know, by team, basically how that maps out. So I'm looking at another part of our spreadsheet, which says that's about 45% customer support, about 25% product and develop uh, about 20% marketing and the rest around 10% for executive stuff. So that's like really loosely, you know, we give like a percentage for every team member of how much they spend their time on each kind of task. And so we have that level of detail as well. That's great. Nice. Cool. Another item we have here, by the way, like in terms of like show notes, oh my goodness, this is, this power couple here has really put together some show notes. And I, I I seriously just got to walk in and be like, wow, this is all done. Awesome. There, there's more here than we can handle, I think, in the next seven-ish minutes. But so I don't know, Kim, what do you think? Which, which of these should we tackle next? I think we should talk about 
where do you start would be helpful to people if you have mm-hmm. nothing. So if you are legit, you know, you have Stripe, you, ha- you might have an accounting system, but you have never started. So how would you get started if, if you have no forecast and really no idea of but where mm-hmm. would you begin? And Jason, maybe you want to start how we talk about how we began doing this yeah. even when we were agency style and then migrated into products. Yeah, I'm curious to hear from Matt too, because we're we're kind of we're all our own on the software side and the accounting and finance side for a while. But uh, I forgot to look this up, but I think Christy Chirinos had a WordPress TV talk at a WordCamp about forecasting and budgeting and stuff, yeah, which really good. If that's online or you can find it, that's worth a look. Yeah. But but we, what we did was like the most important kind of spreadsheet. We, we didn't use QuickBooks or something like that, but we had a spreadsheet that had two tabs, one for expenses and one for, now I forget how we labeled it, but like revenue, like incoming money. And every line was like the date of the expense, how much it was. And, you know, that's, that, that's the information that you need to like do your taxes. So we did pay for a tax account who did small business tax submission and stuff for us. And we would just send him that spreadsheet. And as we got bigger, that spreadsheet got a hand and he's like, this would be really easier for me if you were officially using QuickBooks. And we hired an accountant to basically move our spreadsheet into QuickBooks. But that that sheet, and we, then we would like break it down by month. That was really important to just like have, you have to have that, those numbers accurate. And then after that, I think it's like something simple and it's different for every business. I have a couple templates. Hopefully I'll try to share this stuff on Twitter too, because I found it from old documents we had. But it's kind of like I said, for consulting that high level of, you know, how much revenue do we make? What are like the main knobs that kind of contribute to that? And what are those values? And keep track of that year to year and kind of try to make an estimate of what's happening the next year. It just forces you to be honest about those numbers and be cognizant of those numbers. And it'll it'll enlighten you for, you know, like the decisions that you have to make about your... Yeah, definitely. The The first step is looking to the past to, to help you predict the future. So if you really want to do a forecast for 2023, do your 2021 and 2022, maybe even 2020. Look back in QuickBooks and just make a really simple month-to-month total expenses, total revenue, profit, and then compare those months, compare them year over year, and it can start, it can help you get a basis for how have I grown historically? How have my expenses grown historically? How has my revenue grown historically? And you can then look ahead to 2023, factor in some gut instinct about things, and then create your forecast. Jason, on a monthly-ish basis, I think at the start of the month, takes mm-hmm. his forecast and turns it into reality. So right now we're up to the end of October, our January through October, columns in that spreadsheet are real numbers. We're still looking mm-hmm. at the forecasted number for November and December. So you're kind of real time converting your forecast into, you know, a version of your of your books that is separate of your QuickBooks area, but still something like Jason uses it to compare and he goes, wow, like I was pretty close. That's cool. And you feel good about it when you're close, I guess. But that's kind of the process we follow. And then Jason tells me how we're doing. <laughs> we can add also that we do this for our personal and you have some spreadsheets to share too for personal budgeting and forecasting, having a personal yeah. balance statement, having like an idea of what your net assets are as an individual, because the same rules kind of apply that you might be using for your personal finance. Yeah. On that, the like personal sheet that I have, you know, there's an income statement format. And like I said, if, if your income is kind of irregular, like we're technically an LLC. So at the end of every month, you know, any profits are ours. 
but Kim and I set a salary for ourselves, like she said, pay yourself first. So, you know, you know what you're paying, but that income statement for, you know, for our personal finances is just that, you know, salary that we set for ourselves. So it, it gives us like a really clear, consistent month to month view of what our expenses are. And if we're sim- in the same way, like the team trip, like if you, your travel expense, that should be budgeted in your personal life. Like how much do you actually pay for a vacation? We still get bonuses and stuff. That's fun too. We give ourselves a bonus when we give everyone else a bonus. And that's when I buy synthesizers and guitars. But you, you want to be honest about like what's a planned expense and what's, you know, what's not. I, I love this question about just how to get up and running. I think that's really crucial. And I know that that for me, when I before working with Devin, when I was on my own solopreneur and anything about this kind of thing, I felt totally overwhelmed. I, I knew how to do numbers and whatnot, but but it just it just felt like I never had the time to really spend on it that I wanted to spend on it. And the first thing that I think I would suggest to anyone who's just getting started or, or a small team and really needed to do better is to get a really good bookkeeper right away. It sounds like you two tried to tackle it yourselves, which I think is brave and amazing and kudos. For me, I'm like, somebody do this. I think uh, going again to that that difference between accounting and finance, I think when you're a founder uh, and starting out, it's like you want to focus more on finance. And so having somebody doing the accounting for you to just get it done so you could take a look at it from a higher perspective and focus on the things that you want to move and push in on, I think it's it's just a better use of your time. Uh, unless you're really a very accounting-oriented type of founder, which is possible, but I haven't run across many of those personally. Yeah. So I don't know. Does that does that resonate? We got lucky that Kim could do the accounting well. How much do we pay for our account now? It's not too much. No, I think we much. pay about $200 a month, $220 a month, and they do it. Um, it's every quarter I get a report. So I don't, for our business... We're very cash flow positive. We, I don't need just-in-time accounting. I don't need monthly accounting. Our, the firm that does ours does do other packages, can do just-in-time, can do um, on a monthly basis. But I'm not looking at it that frequently because we have so much padding and buffer. But you would have to find an accountant that can deliver on the speed that you need if you really are looking at cash flow and, and projections for months ahead and, and how much your balances are. But yeah, yeah. it's not super expensive. And they maintain our QuickBooks for us. Our accountant has access to our QuickBooks. We have access to our QuickBooks. And they send us, you know, a, every quarter a report, a PL, and just some expectations and growth data. And then they'll have a call with us if we have any questions. But we never well, do. <laughs> We're like, hey. what's what's <laughs> nice is it's you we do we still do some of that stuff on our own. And so we get to double check it. And my numbers are always like a little more rough and estimate estimated. And theirs obviously are backwards looking and have the exact numbers. So it's it's nice that we did do it on our own at some point. Cause now we, when we double check the numbers, it makes more sense to us, but sure. Yeah. 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 That would be another one is like, even though you, like I do, I would still like, if I was going out on my own at any time, I would definitely be looking for an accountant right away, but I would also be definitely beating up the numbers on my own and making sure that they make sense. I think mm-hmm. you really do have to make sure to be investing that time and, and at least know the fundamentals of how, your business works at that level for sure. We typically send off with just like two quick sentences or two or three quick sentences on what your best advice would be for anybody just getting started. This is similar to the question we just asked, but maybe really succinct. So let's start with Kim. Kim, 
What's your best two-sentence advice for folks who are just getting started with budgeting and forecasting? I would say start with simple spreadsheets. I tried QuickBooks many times over the years and left because the interface was not intuitive to me. I was very confused by it. So when you're just starting, you know, you still have good accounting, but for budgeting and forecasting, a spreadsheet program is your best friend. It's something you're most likely very familiar with and you won't have a learning curve to get going in this import process and all this jazz. So I would start with spreadsheets. And if you eventually want to move to a more complex hosted paid tool, go for it. But simple is often better because we're just looking at some numbers and their relationships to one. Jason, what is your big takeaway, best advice? So I think one of the benefits of doing this that I don't want to be lost is that second order, you know, pot decision-making that, you, that you're forced to do when you look at these numbers. So, you know, like I said, positive visualization through spreadsheets, you know, you, you kind of say, I want to grow 30% this year. If you look at that and you made $100,000 last year, that means you'll make $130,000 this year. You really have to answer the question then like, well, how do I make an extra $30,000? Or even how am I sure I'm going to make $100,000 again? And so we do that and we look into like, well, what is our renewal rate? How many of our customers do we expect to renew? Like how many of our sales were new and how many were recurring? What, what have we done? You know, what new channels are coming in? What can we expect from them? And forcing ourselves to be realistic about that, you know, helps us understand our business more and then also, you know, figure out new, new things to do and how to hit that target. Nice. Yeah, I think my tip would be make sure to set a calendar block on your, on your calendar every single week, either Monday or Friday, probably, in, in which you just say, I'm going to spend one hour minimum on doing accounting or finance or a little mix of both and just make sure that you're doing it really religiously once a week because way more intimidating to try to catch up on a quarter's worth of stuff or you know or even a month's worth of stuff sometimes if you're not staying on top of it regularly and all of a sudden you feel like you have to wade through a bajillion numbers instead of like a thousand numbers so keep it bite-sized and small and, and make it a priority. It is your responsibility and uh, you got to do it whether you like it or not. That would be mine. Nice. Good well, this stuff. was great. Yeah, good stuff. Thank you both for being here as always. And I want to hear from Kim, what are we doing next? We, we're we're going to keep going, folks. We're, we, Kim and I both said basically like, Hey, this is just a part of our weekly rhythm now. So we're just going to keep going. We're sending out invites. I actually see a really tall dude listening in right now who would be worth an invite. I think, Kim, we should need to follow up with Mr. Cat later. But who do we got coming come next week? Absolutely. So next week on Wednesday, November 23rd, same time, we have Katie Keith of Barn 2. Katie is going to be sharing with us some ideas on when is the right time to go full-time on your product. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Kitty and Barn2 are doing some awesome stuff and uh, folks need to be paying attention to what they're doing, I think. Thanks so much, Coleman's. Really appreciate it. Everyone have a good week and we'll see you online. All right. Thank Thanks, you. Matt. Thanks, Kim. Bye. Bye. Hey, listener, did you like what you heard on today's episode? Be sure to say thanks to the hosts today. Find them on Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever you do your social media. I'm sure they're there. Go ahead and say thanks. 
for hanging out and providing some amazing content to you right here on the WP Minute. If you want to support the WP Minute, you can join our membership. It's a great place to find other WordPress professionals who care about WordPress news, talk about WordPress news. Hey, you can even shape the WordPress news as it goes out as a producer. Become a member at the WPMinute.com slash support or buy us a digital coffee, however you see fit to support the show or just share us out on social media. Thanks for listening. See you in the next episode.